So just to give you a, a bit of an idea of where we're going, uh, we've been in a series uh, for the last few weeks, and that series comes uh, to an end tonight. And next week, we're going to be launching a, a five-part series on prayer and fasting. And we are really excited um, about this as a church because, again, in everything that the Lord has been uh, sharing with us and speaking to us about walking in faith and just trusting Him, one of the best ways we get to abide and experience the Lord is, is through prayer. And we also know that uh, that's something that all of us would be embarrassed uh, about revealing, just the full extent of our prayer life and something you know, we'd all love to be better equipped and resourced with. And so we're going to be doing that uh, for five weeks. There's going to be some events that we're going to be doing as a church. We're going to be encouraging uh, a church-wide participation uh, in a bit of a fast. And if you don't know and have never engaged with that before, there'll be some great opportunity for you to learn uh, a bit about that. And we're going to be resourcing everyone uh, in different ways on just how to connect more with the Lord, how to abide more in Him, how to hear His voice, how to engage in prayer. And uh, we're going to be supplying uh, some journals, and uh, they're going to be about 20 rand, and they're going to be on sale from next week. And so if you want to bring some bucks uh, to uh, get uh, into what we're going to be doing for the next month, I encourage you guys uh, to do that. So really exciting uh, a series on prayer and fasting and just how to abide and be more in the Lord's presence. And how do I, how do, I do that well? And we're really excited about that. But uh, tonight we've got one last hurdle in our series on God and money. And some of you guys have been uh, coming to this series, but feeling as though there's like an executioner's axe kind of hanging above you because while we've been speaking about the heart of money, there was something inside of you that you always knew at some point uh, in this series, we were going to get to the topic of giving and uh, your wait is over. Uh, tonight we are going to get into speaking about giving. And yeah, that is, I'm, I'm stoked. Someone is excited. Uh, I'm excited because God's Word says so much about it. And if this is your first time in church tonight and you're freaking out because of, again, all those stereotypes that preachers only preach about money, um, I think in my two years plus here at Riverside, this will be my first sermon on giving. So if anything, we underspeak about uh, what God says in His Word about money. And I'm excited about this. But it's important, before we get into uh, giving tonight, we have to remember the context in which we find this series. There are some statements that we have made in the build-up to this moment. And it's important that we hold those statements in our mind. We remember those statements because we're speaking about giving in light of uh, the statements that we have made up until this point in this series. And this is also going to be a great way for you to be refreshed and catch up if you have missed any of the series or the sermons up until till this point. So here's some important uh, contextual statements uh, for uh, what God has to say about giving. From week one, you remember uh, that we said one of the first things and one of the first statements we made in the series is that everything belongs to the Lord. He owns everything. My ability to produce wealth comes from the Lord. Even my health, my body, it belongs to the Lord. Every single thing is the Lord's. 
The second statement is that we are stewards of everything that we have. If everything is the Lord's, we become stewards of everything that he has given us. Then we looked at uh, how money is good, not bad. Because we can fall into that trap of thinking that money is evil or money is bad. And remember, we reject what we call a poverty gospel. You're not holy because you're poor. No, money is good. There's so much good that you can do with money. But the other trap is that money can become God. And we reject the idol of money and the love of money. And that we always want God to be first in our life and possessions and materialism come, come way after. So money is good, not bad. Money is not God. And then we have to have an eternal view of our possessions. That uh, building up treasures on earth is so short-sighted because of eternity. What God encourages us to do with possessions is to, is to build towards heavenly treasures, not earthly treasures. And heavenly treasures are eternal treasures. Then last week we looked at how we will be rewarded for faithful stewardship. But we are also going to be held accountable for unfaithful stewardship. And those are some of the statements that we have been speaking into, into the the heart of money and possessions. And then we're going to get into what God is saying now about giving. Now, under no illusions. I mean, uh, I was once at a church service, genuine, this happened. The pastor shared that he had got a special word from the Lord that morning about a specific amount of money that would be taken up in collection. And so uh, how it worked in that church was it was an open plate in the front and you had to go one at a time and place your offering down. It was then counted by his wife and he came back to say the amount that the Lord had told him wasn't reached and offering was taken up four times. Uh, and the whole time was going, God isn't going to bless you. And, and we have all have stories um, about churches or pastors who have abused and manipulated us uh, with giving. It's been done badly. I mean, I once heard a sermon, and also on giving, on the birth of Christ. And I often use this as a joke. But uh, around the birth of Christ, there were like three wise men or three kings uh, that came to uh, lay, fee, lay gifts at the feet of Jesus. And the first gift was gold. And the, the message and the, the way this guy interpreted the passage was that means the only legitimate way that Jesus should be worshipped and the only worship he accepts is when you lay gold at his feet. And we hear messages where people just abuse and manipulate people with giving. But the reality is that many of us often use those kind of stories as excuses. And so tonight what we're really hoping to do is to examine what God's word says about giving. And then we have to settle in our own hearts what he says. And then our hope and our trust is that we are going to uh, grow in faith and in obedience into what God's word says about giving. And also where there has been abuse and where there has been disappointments and confusion in your life that you're going to see out of God's word what he does say. And so there'll be a journey and a starting of healing in your life so that you can move to a place of obedience and trusting him.
Right, so let's start off tonight in seeing what God's word says about giving. And again, just a place to depart from is going to be Luke chapter 12. If you can find that in your Bibles, reading from verse 16. Again, we always encourage you to open up your Bibles, always encourage you to go to the references, write them down, read them again in the week, reflecting on what God is saying to us and engaging uh, more deeply with the passages. Right, so Luke 12, verse 16, it will also be up um, on the screen behind me. And then he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will have, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And this is what will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. If we think about those eight statements uh, that we've been speaking about uh, up until this point, some of the mistakes that this rich young man made is he didn't live in the, uh, the understanding of everything I have belongs to the Lord and that I'm merely just a steward of everything that he has given me and entrusted with me. What he had done is money, possessions, was an idol for himself. He had made it his God. And that's what was shared this morning This is maybe the unspoken dream of every single person's heart. To have enough money to retire early and to live a relaxed, uh, joyful, peaceful life of having no worries whatsoever. Uh, To be free to go and brunch and lunch and dinner and holiday and just to enjoy life. But at the same time, just not understanding the heart of God and that so many people could have benefited from him stewarding his wealth far more uh, than what he did instead of building up these treasures for himself. We spoke about how there will be an account uh, where we will have to give an account for what God has given us and this man did have to give an account. But what does God say about giving? Because Again, in this passage, it says, but he was not rich towards God. What does it mean to be rich towards God? What does the Bible teach about giving? And so we're going to kind of just track through Old Testament into New Testament. There's some interesting things that we pick up. So in the Old Testament, a word is used. It's called tithing, which literally means one-tenth. And so the expectation of God's people was they would need to give one-tenth of their income to the Lord. And that tithe was responsible for two things. The first was was to take care of the priests and the Levites. Now in God's Uh, within God's people, the Israelites, uh, there were a number of tribes, Levites, one of the tribes, when they entered into the promised land, they were not allowed to own land. They worked in the temple. Every other tribe, they got given an allotment of land, but the Levites, they were not allowed to own land. 
Now you don't think that might not be such a big deal, but if you don't own land in that kind of an environment, in that kind of culture, you can't grow crops, you can't uh, have flocks of animals, you can't uh, create an income for yourself. So they had no way of, of having a living. But the tithe of the rest of the people took care of the Levites who then worked at the temple. And the other part of the tithe went to helping the functioning of the temple. So the primary responsibility of the the tithe, the 10% went to taking care of the priests and the Levites and the temple. But then, especially if you read in Deuteronomy, and that's where you can find some of these things, there were other tithes that God's people were expected to make. There was a thing called the festival tithe. And throughout the calendar year, God's people would celebrate and remember through festivals and feasts, the the things and the acts and the the works of the Lord. And they would remember, and there was a specific tithe that the people had to give uh, for those festivals and feasts to happen. There was also a thing called the charity tithe. And that happened every three years over and above everything else. They would have to give a tithe and that went to caring for, again, the Levites, uh, foreigners and travelers through the land, widows and the fatherless. If you add up everything that they were expected to give, it was well over 10%. In fact, it was actually roughly around 23.3% was what they were tithing to the Lord. Then over and above that, was the call by God to be generous uh, towards the poor. There was practices, and again, you can find some of these practices in the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, one such practice was that of gleaning. And gleaning was a type of uh, farming and harvesting where you had to leave part of your harvest. And even there was other ways of doing it, like if you had grain in your basket or things in your basket that fell out, You didn't pick it up and you didn't take everything off of your field so the poor could come in and the needy could come in, the orphan, uh, the widow could come in and and, and take off of your fields so that you were providing for the poor. And so uh, what God set up as a practice in the Old Testament was actually one of of great sacrifice and generosity, a little bit more than the 10%. In fact, 23, like I said, 23.3% and the spontaneous Uh, generosity to the poor over and above everything else that was expected of you as God's people. So then you move into the New Testament and here is where things start to get a little bit fuzzy. Nobody kind of questioned what was done in the Old Testament. Where people start to raise questions is, well, okay, Old Testament, Old Covenant, the law, uh, New Testament, New covenant, grace. So if that was the old covenant and the law, then how does that impact on me? Because, you know, we don't obey the law. Uh, It doesn't really have an impact on us as believers anymore. So kind of what do I do? And so uh, people then go, well, I don't tithe because tithing is an old covenant law, uh, Old Testament principle. We don't see that in the New Testament. So um, I I don't tithe in any way. Uh, That's not a a practice that I have to do because I'm under grace. I'm not under law. And it kind of gets a little bit fuzzy, but I want us to kind of see a little bit of the heart between grace and law for a few minutes before we actually go and see what the New Testament has to say about this. Because again, if you think about the Old Testament law, do not murder. When it gets to the New Testament, Jesus says, I tell you, do not murder. What I actually 
want you to hear is do not even have anger in your heart because if you have anger in your heart towards someone, you've committed murder in your heart. So again, Jesus takes the principle of uh, the law and then he even takes it one step further because in our hearts, like anger even stops us from, from loving someone. And in our hearts, that's where uh, murder is birthed and, and anger even stops us from loving. Think about uh, lust. Old Testament law, do not commit adultery. And in the New Testament, Jesus says, even if you lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. And we're so thankful. What the law could not do is the law could never save us. And uh, what the law does do is it points out our failures. And thanks to Jesus, we are saved. The law could never save us. Jesus saves us. And not only does he save us, but he gives us his presence, which enables us to live out all of those things, and with greater freedom. See, if we just had the law, we'd fail all the time. Law points out uh, some of the, the heart of God, the values, the principles of God, but then again, law can't save us. Jesus comes, Jesus saves us, sets us free from that. But what he sets us free from, he sets us free to live out the commands of God in, in greater ways through the empowering presence of his Holy Spirit. Again, what the law exposes, the Spirit enables. And so we could never hold to the law. The law just shows us just how sinful we are. Thanks be to Jesus who sets us free from that, gives us His Spirit, gives us His presence. He empowers us to live that out. One of my favorite verses, 1 Corinthians 3 verse 18. Uh, the, the context of that, sorry, it's not gonna come up here. It's talking about how glorious the law is. And, and, and what Paul, the writer of 1 Corinthians, goes on to say, says, we who with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory with ever-increasing measure that comes from the Spirit. What it's talking about is if the, the old covenant and the law was so glorious, just this wonderful thing, how much greater is the new covenant which comes with the Spirit, which empowers us to become more and more like Jesus Christ, to live out all the values of God, to live out all the commands of God. My ability not to murder someone, and yes, we all have angry thoughts, but the, my ability to uh, grow in peace and love and compassion and not anger comes from the work of the Spirit. So I'm able to live out those values because of Jesus. And that is every aspect of the Christian life, and it's still the same with giving. Nowhere does Jesus say or Paul say, well, tithing and giving was an Old Testament thing. You're off the hook. That was the law. No. Again, it's this thing where they move to the heart and then teach generosity. And so the principle of giving to the Lord what is the Lord's in the New Testament is in the power of the Holy Spirit uh, become more and more generous towards God, the kingdom, to the poor. And this is the value and the heart of the New Testament is that in the freedom of the Holy Spirit and the empowering of God's presence that we just become more and more generous towards God, towards his kingdom and towards the poor. But then what, again, what is also very interesting is the principles and the pattern set up in the Old Testament with regards to what the tithe was for is actually uh, mirrored very similarly in the New Testament. So here's uh, some references for you. Um, Again, one of the primary reasons for the tithe was to take care of uh, the priests and the Levites. Well, in the New Testament, it's to take care of modern-day priests and Levites, those who are in full-time ministry and missions and things like that. So uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5, 
Uh, the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For scripture says, and this is Paul writing, and he's even using some Old Testament principles in the New Testament to back up the supporting of those who are in uh, full-time ministry. Do not muzzle the ox while it is treading out the grain and the worker deserves his wages. Again, you might be thinking, Craig, this uh, great, you've got the mark. Of course, you can uh, preach about giving because uh, you benefit from that. But the reality is, from a very practical and pragmatic point of view, so many NGOs take strain. They're doing such good work. But people hate the idea that money goes to salaries. Uh, they're so happy to give money towards the building of a school. And great organizations are doing things like that. But they can't sustain themselves because they've got no money to... Uh, pay people to build the schools and to administrate the NGOs and to do all that good work. Again, not just a practical thing to support people so they can do this work full time, but it is part of the pattern that God has established as behavior for the kingdom. And then as it went to the priests and the Levites, it also went uh, to the work of the temple. So in the New Testament, the principle is that it goes to the work of the ministry. 1 Corinthians uh, 9 And verse 12, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 12. The service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing into many expressions of thanks to God. We can't do ministry if we don't have the finances to do that. Think about Holiday Bible Club. Over 200 children last year heard the gospel. Their parents heard the gospel. We do not charge a cent for Holiday Bible Club. That is because we love the community and we want to bless the community. We want people in our community to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. There are people within a 10 kilometer radius of this church who do not know Jesus. And we want to minister to them. We want to create opportunities for them to hear the gospel. I know people struggle with the fact that we have coffee and brownies and why is that necessary? Because we understand there's a culture and a context which we live in and we want to make it easy for people to hear the gospel. We know of how many hurdles people have when they walk into a church. We want to take away as many of those hurdles as possible. So we spend a little bit of money. I know people struggle with this. You know, a big question then actually that arises often is am I supposed to give to my local church or can I give my money where I like? Okay, so I'm kind of motivated to give. Do I give it to my church or can I just uh, kind of give it where I like? So again, some of the behavior that we see in the New Testament, especially in the book of Acts, you see behavior where uh, the believers, they would even sell uh, their properties and their possessions. And what they did with their money was they laid it at the feet of the appointed leaders, the apostles and elders of the church. And then it goes on to say that they then shared their possessions with those Uh, who had need. And so God's institution in the Old Testament was the temple and everybody just gave towards the temple. The New uh, Testament um, is a version of that is the church. And what we saw is the practice of early believers was first their uh, giving went into the church for their appointed leaders to be entrusted with that. And then over and above that, they went and shared and were generous in other ways. Steve shared this this morning and it's something that we are quite convinced of. And we know that people struggle with this bit of, do I have to give to my local church? 
And I say this with love and grace, so if you're struggling with my, my tone tonight, please hear this with genuine love and grace. That if you struggle and cannot give to uh, the place where you're being uh, fed from God's word, where you're being equipped for mission, where you are experiencing biblical community here for whatever reason that you uh, feel you cannot give uh, to this local church, Riverside Community, then our heart is that you would be able to find a church where you can do that. Again, because the pattern is local church is, is what you give to. And if you can't do it here, we far prefer and would uh, hope that you'd live in obedience to God's word by giving to a local church, giving to the work that God is doing in that community than being here and being in disobedience. We'd rather find a place where you can be obedient to what God's word is. So if you can't give here, then we trust that you would find a place where you can uh, give to. So again, Old Testament, New Testament, primary purpose, again, was giving to the temple and supporting the the church and supporting uh, ministry. But then another question that does come up is, what about the poor? You know, what do I do there? And in um, Matthew 23, the only time Jesus speaks uh, about uh, tithing, and he, he really rebukes uh, the Pharisees. So Matthew uh, 23, verses 23 and 24, Jesus speaking says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. So Jesus is really uh, slamming them because the Pharisees had this practice where they would literally uh, measure out everything they had in this like kind of this religious duty of of just ticking off the ten percent. So if they had you know like whatever, however much spice, they would measure out one tenth of every spice that they had to be even like that ridiculous of going. Well, I've given ten percent to the Lord. And there's two mistakes that we can make in thinking about giving in the local church. The first mistake is this, is I've tithed, I've given to the church, my bit is done. I've given my 10% to the church, I don't have to give a cent more or do a cent more. In fact, um, I had a friend uh, who was really stuck in this and... um, he refused to do anything in any church he was involved in because he believed he gave exactly 10%. And so other people were then paid to do whatever work needed to be done in the church. And uh, he was done, finished in club because he had given his 10%. That's one mistake that we make. Like what Jesus was saying, you, you mistake, you've given your 10%, but you've neglected actually the heart of God. The other mistake that we can make is, well, I'm actually not going to give and I'm just going to, I'm not going to give to the church. I'm just going to give wherever there is a need. But in fact, the heart of what Jesus is saying is that justice, mercy, faithfulness, those are all things that we should be doing without neglecting uh, giving. All right, so then uh, coming back down to uh, some application things. What does the New Testament in summary kind of give as a guide, as a behavior, as a values towards uh, giving and how should we then be giving? 
1 Corinthians 16 verse two, again, I'm sorry, I don't think that reference is gonna come up, so just make a note of it. This is Paul teaching to the Corinthian church. He says, on the first day of every week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up. So when I come to you, collections uh, will have to be made. And so uh, some things to write down and think through when it comes to giving. I'm gonna give us some, uh, in point form, some of the values that the New Testament teaches about giving. The first one is intentional. Paul encouraged them, set aside an amount of money at the beginning of each week. Point number two is regular. Okay, so intentional set aside. Two, every week, regular. Now, regular might be once a month for you. Some people uh, have different rhythms of earning money, uh, but whatever rhythm you have with your finances, uh, the New Testament principle is intentional. Uh, It's regular. uh, And then it's generous. Then it's first. Then it's proportional. The proportional is important because this is the heart of what we're talking about when it comes to giving. So if somebody can only give two rand, three rand, but it's in proportion to what they're earning, but their heart is for God and they're wanting to be generous to the work of the Lord, uh, that's the heart of it. And some people, uh, again, what's proportional to them is way above the 10% because God has blessed them uh, so much financially uh, that you're giving way more uh, than the 10%. And the last one is cheerful. That this is the heart of God is that uh, the the way we give um, as believers is that we're intentional, we're regular, we're generous. It's first It's proportional to um, our income and it's cheerful. An example uh, about this and a way that you can do this is however you give, uh, be it EFT or um, a check or or, if you do actually put into the offering bag that as you prepare to give, that you actually do it as an act of worship and you say a prayer of worship to the Lord. If it's by EFT, when you make that EFT payment, you say, Jesus, thank you. Thank you that... I have finances. Thank you that you have given me wealth. Thank you that I'm able to give, that I'm in this position to give. Lord, I just bless you and worship you. Use this for your kingdom. And that becomes this cheerful act of worship unto the Lord as you give to him what is his and you be rich towards him. If 10% in tithing is Old Testament and the New Testament principle is generosity and giving, not tithing, where's a place to start? And um, that I can't really answer for you and that's something that you need to come before the Lord um, in in prayerful response to him and saying, Lord, you have uh, blessed me with wealth. And again, going back to our very first statements, uh, if you want to move to a place of not giving, to giving, or if you want to increase your generosity unto the Lord, a good place to start is going, well, well God, everything belongs to you and, and I'm your steward. And one of the questions that we've posed in the series is, Lord, what do you want me to do with everything that is yours? And maybe then just start. And, and something that we've really been just, it's, it's so a part of what the Lord is saying to us, is then start to walk in faith. 
And if you can only start at 2%, start at 2%, but then be intentional, regular, make that the first thing that you do so you're giving God first. Be proportional, be cheerful about it. But if 2% is, is where you can start, walk in faith and start to be generous. Trusting that God is going to increase uh, your financial capability. And this is uh, really the heart of this is when our financial capacity increases, when, we, when our wealth grows, as believers, our standard of living isn't supposed to grow with our wealth capacity. What's supposed to grow is our generosity towards God. That we're supposed to be able to live within a specific means and then just be uh, better stewards of what he's entrusted us with. And what we're supposed to do is just grow in our generosity, grow in being rich towards God. That was the mistake that that rich man made in, in Luke 12, the passage that we opened up with. His wealth increased and so should his generosity towards God have increased except it was a God for himself and an idol. And that was ultimately his downfall. But then we think about the heart of the New Testament, the heart of the New Covenant, the heart of the relationship that we have uh, with Jesus is how much did he give us of himself? Was it 2%? Was it 5%? Was it 10%? Jesus gave all of himself up for us. If we think about the generosity of Jesus, not only does he give himself up for us to make us right with God, all of himself for us to be in right standing with God. He even gives us his spirit to enable us to live out the Christian life. Then not only that, I mean, I was thinking where sin abounds, grace abounds even more so. He is so generous to us that where uh, we fail, there's grace to cover our sin with no limits. That his mercy is new for us every single day. That if you, you think about Jesus, the word is generous. I mean, another word that we use about him is, is his love is lavish. He doesn't hold back anything with us. He is generous in every single way. He's generous with his love. So so we're still enemies when he loved us. He becomes a sin offering. He takes my sin. He gives me his righteousness. Doesn't even deserve what he gives me. Again, I said it. He empowers us with the spirit. That grace, he is generous in every single way. And the response to his generosity the response to his lavish love, the response to even the giving of his spirit is that in return, the believer lives a life of generosity. It's a life of giving. And that is, and I mean, we've made it quite clear in this series that this isn't just about money. It's about all that we are. Money is a big part of that, but it's our possessions. It's our time. It's our gifting. It's everything. That we're just generous to the Lord because of his generosity back to us. Because we live out the, the faith and the love of a God who is generous in every single way towards us. And if we want to encapsulate what God's heart is with what he has blessed us with, it's that we are generous with everything. 
and our faith and our trust in what we have been doing with this series is that you are going to move to a place where you understand the generosity of the Lord. You understand the heart of God and you're secure in that. And so you can walk in faith and in stewardship and generosity towards God, his kingdom, uh, to the poor. So I want to end with some prayer for us. And again, I think there's been layers to the sermon and to the series. Maybe just again, close your eyes and just put your hands out and just as a posture of receiving from the Lord. As I'm praying, ask the Lord just to show you just how generous he is. And then asking the Lord, what still is there for me? What's holding me back from being 100% all in, in my faith, my life? And saying that Jesus was all in for me. He was 100%. What does it look like for me to be 100%? What is still holding me back? What's stopping me from being generous? What's stopping me from giving? What's stopping me from surrendering everything in faith and trust to the Lord? Jesus, I'm so thankful that you were a God who was all in. That you didn't just give 10% of your blood. That you just didn't give me 10% of your love. You gave 100% of your love. And that is just ongoing as your grace is just new every single day. And it abounds in my life when my sin abounds. And you just give me your spirit so generously to empower me for this life of faith and trust with you, Lord God. Thank you that everything I have is yours. Jesus, help me just be a faithful steward of what you have given me. With, given me. That I can just trust you and live this life of faith. Reveal to me, Lord God, what I still need to lay down for you. What's still an idol in my life. What's taking my time, my money, my energy. Holy Spirit, help me become rich towards God. 